Hello and welcome to this timely episode of Ontobel Now. Given the terrible circumstances surrounding the human tragedy due to the war in Ukraine, we feel it is essential to get a deeper understanding of the issues and in particular the geopolitical consequences. Further, how to adapt asset allocation strategies in response is obviously front of mind for investors. So to bring you these insights, this podcast is split into two parts. First, we have taken the highlights from a live stream recorded on March the 4th. In this, Dan Scott, who's head of Vontobel Multi-Asset, asked key questions to Ben Ozog, who's Eastern Europe expert and senior researcher and team leader at the Centre for Security Studies, ETH, in Zurich. Following this, Dan will explain what the implications are for asset allocation for investors. So Dan, over to you. We had been discussing earlier, we're actually already in a state of escalation in this conflict. So my question to you would be, what are the further pathways here? How are we going to escalate further or is there a chance of even de-escalation? I would obviously caution, as in we're one week into that conflict, so how exactly it plays out, what kind of capacities and capabilities Europe in particular may have to build as a reaction to that, how military posture and presence, particularly in Eastern Europe, should play out. It's too early to say, but certainly there is a change of era, so security policy, hard power will be on the agenda in Europe. So these very ambitious announcements that we've seen within the week of European actors, Germany in particular, but also the EU, is certainly something to be taken serious and will inform further debates about that for years to come. Because Europe has understood fairly well how to use its economic statecraft, its economic weapons, but it's been very weak and disorganized and very nation-state focused when it comes to the military realm and hard power. This reliance on the US as a major ally to to offer essentially security and military capabilities in Europe has been convenient for years and decades. There was talk of European strategic autonomy, also in the security and defense realm, but this hasn't advanced too, too much. But given this shock now that we see, we will see new debates being intensified, initiated on exactly that, how Europe can deal with hard power, how it can feel comfortable with using or threatening with hard power, But how exactly it plays out is probably still too early to tell. Depends very much, yet again, on the outcome of this conflict. And probably not just for Europe, but for the Western world. I imagine in Australia, this is also very much a topic because while the flare-up is in Europe, I think what we feel from a Western perspective is that it's our Western liberal democracies Mm -hmm. that are under attack. Um, um, Energy policy, of course, is the other one that's very close uh, at hand as a topic. Do you see some uh, shifts in terms of how we embrace that topic going forward? That's certainly a crucial dimension that is already somewhat on, on the table. In terms of sanctions, for example, energy has still somewhat been left aside. So energy keeps flowing. And that should remind us that even during the heights of the Cold War, Soviet oil kept flowing to Western Europe. So there can be a bit of an exception to energy. But every consumer across the world, already all the way to Australia, already feels that energy prices are rising even further than they already have in in the past months. So that's a very tangible effect already. And one wonders again how it influences policymaking, particularly in Europe, but, but beyond as well, because it's probably increasingly difficult and politically unpopular to rely on Russian energy. 
what are the alternatives? It's obviously renewables, which we're scaling up, but this is a slow process. There's a potential for extending the lifespan of nuclear reactors or even building new ones, as some are, and maybe even look into coal as a short-term measure because giving, handing Russia hundreds of millions every day for its energy is unpopular. But how this plays out and how we can reconcile this short-termism that we currently see, speaking about weeks, and the years that it takes for energy transition and for flows to, to being rerouted, to have alternatives, is very much a bit of a tension that also we'll have to watch out. If anyone comes out now knowing that how exactly this play out, plays out in the energy markets and in the energy setup in Europe or beyond, it's probably misled, but there will be effects very tangibly and they already are there. Yeah. Well, look, I think before we, this also takes us very close to uh, my area and what I'm concerned with, which is investing our, our um, clients' capital. Um, but before we get to that topic, just one last question, and that is, you know, the DEFCON 3, the, you know, uh, how worried are you that uh, Vladimir Putin has completely lost it and actually does, you know, employ his nuclear arsenal? How, how, concern, how much of a real concern is this? We're already following a bit of a worst-case scenario, and this is obviously the worst that could happen in the end. And Vladimir Putin last Sunday reminded the world about Russia's nuclear arsenal, the biggest in the world, a very capable one, by threatening essentially NATO not to get involved further. I don't think there's just yet a situation where nuclear weapons could have either a tactical on the battleground or strategic, mostly in the political realm, advantage or their use. The hesitation is still huge and even pragmatically speaking, sadly, one must say, Russia has many conventional capabilities that haven't been employed just yet to make an effect to, to get an advantage on the battlefield. So even military speaking, there's no logic yet. And this would obviously be an ultimate game changer, these nuclear weapons. So I'm less worried about the intentional use of these. I'm, I'm worried about Vladimir Putin's rationale and personality, of course, when he feels cornered to what kind of measures he may resort but my particular worry is on unintentional nuclear escalation by misunderstandings, by a missile appearing on the opponent's radar that cannot be identified, that can be suspected to be a nuclear weapon, and then by triggering what appears like a nuclear response, but is actually the first missile that is flying with a nuclear warhead. Quite worried about that. This is why these communication channels are really important to avoid such misunderstandings. And just to add on that, we just saw headlines this morning, of course, of an actual nuclear power station in Ukraine, the biggest in Europe, being fought over, being the setting of intense military fighting. And that should worry us as well. So there's very much a nuclear dimension to it. There's very much a reminder that since 1945, we live in a nuclear age where countries that we don't like, whose decision making we don't fully understand, possess these ultimate weapons. I would hope that there's still restraint. And so far, all actors do caution against the use of any such capabilities. I somewhat rely on that, but we must still obviously always be ready that anything can happen where things comes to worst. Benno, thank you very much for your assessment. Dan, based on what we've just heard from Benno, what does this mean for how investors should be thinking about their portfolios and adapting their asset allocation accordingly? Thanks very much, Andrew. It's a very good question. There are many open questions that we still have. And I think what we are monitoring minute by minute 
is the knock-on effects that this war on Ukraine has. Now, what's very clear is that this war is inflationary. Wars generally tends to have an inflationary impact, but this one in particular, because it's not just oil or oil and gas, it's really the broad commodities complex, also soft commodities like grains that are impacted by this war. The Ukraine is a significant exporter of wheat, exporter of grains into the soft commodities market. And as you can imagine, Ukrainian farmers aren't likely going to be out this spring planting. So there's going to be some longer term effects also on grain markets. Oil and gas, clearly very much in the center of the fray here. And while the sanctions from the West have been coordinated and have targeted Russia hard, as hard as they can, they've been very careful not to sanction banks in Russia or any means of finance for getting oil and gas out. So removing banks from SWIFT, but sparing Sparebank, the major bank in Russia, and the specialist financiers that make it possible to export oil and gas out of Russia. There also haven't been any direct sanctions on oil or gas. Most of the supply disruptions have been self-imposed because um, those that transport, the ship, the trades, have been worried about their ability to offload those cargoes and therefore haven't really been willing to take them. So the seaborne market definitely has been affected. And, you know, if we take a look at the impact that we have that energy price inflation is going to have now on the global economy, it's far more meaningful than it already was before. Keep in mind that energy price inflation was something that was already underfoot. We had commodities that were rising and um, for, for a number of reasons, partially also because of the increased demands that global economic growth brought, but also structural factors like the transition away from carbon to renewable energy, carbon intense to renewable energy. So those were all things that were supportive for the commodity market before and why our view from a multi-asset class perspective has been positive on the commodities complex for a good year now. So this inflationary part of the war is something that is going to have or be an extra challenge for central banks. Remember, going into this war, the broad outlook for global macro was that you had central banks which were embarking on a rate hiking journey in order to start tackling inflation. We also had global economic growth that was strong enough in order to support or to stomach those increases in rates and drawing of liquidity. Now, given the increase you have, the dramatic increase in commodity price inflation, you're really in a sticky point here for central banks because they need to move. CPI, consumer price inflation, is going high, um, but raising interest rates won't have much of an effect on commodity price inflation. That has different drivers, not necessarily monetary policy. So it's in a very difficult situation the central banks are in right now. And that's also a reason why we continue to have gold as an overweight view from a macroeconomic perspective, because we feel that not only is gold good as a geopolitical risk absorber, but gold, of course, um, if there is any concern about growth slowing down too much and the global economy going into a recession, is a very defensive position for multi-asset class investors. Now, on equities and fixed income, 
that continues to be um, a, a focus point, of course, for any multi-asset class investor. And our view on equities remains that relative to bonds, they are attractive. If you look at the sell-off that you've seen in markets since the beginning of the year, um, you can see the bulk of it was actually because of expectations for rate increases and the multiple contraction that that brings with it. So now multiples on global equities have come back significantly from the peak on the S&P 500 of around 25 times to below 20. And currently in Europe, we're looking at multiples on European equities at around 13. So that really, historically speaking, is low in terms of valuation for equities. It's below the long-term average especially for the Eurozone, the markets now are pricing in a recession. So we think that the downside skew here um, for markets is, um, is, is there's less downside than there is upside. The risk skew for the markets, for equity markets in general is higher, which is why our view on equities remains positive. It's a valuations call. Beyond that, we also think the, glo the global economy is still doing well. You have PMIs, which are comfortably above 50 globally. We have the U.S. economy, which doesn't have as much of a direct exposure to Russia, Ukraine, nor does it have as much of an exposure to importing Russian energy as the Eurozone does. And then you have China, the world's second largest economy, which is at a different policy pivot. They are actually easing and starting to stimulate further. So there we expect to see economic activity pick up and for uh, macro to start improving. So the two largest economies in the world still give us some support for having a slightly risk on view in terms of asset allocation. That's great. Thanks, Dan. And thanks so much to you and, of course, to Benno's earlier comments from March the 4th to put into perspective some of the issues and challenges that we all face. If you'd like to hear more from Vontobel now, please follow us on LinkedIn and we'll be able to download lots of different topics around how investment themes are impacting opportunities for you both now and going forward. So we'll look forward to coming back to you soon with further podcasts of interesting topics. Thank you. This recording is for information purposes only and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments, to affect any transactions, or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever, except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed, or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, Vontabel will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information, or Vontabel's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract, or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information, or any part of it, or for any problems with this information, which could not be lawfully excluded, is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you, or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. 
Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance, and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance. Today's guest speaker is not an employee or representative of Von Tobel. The views expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Von Tobel.